Lord is bringing revival. It's coming. It is coming. And we're going to talk about it a little bit this morning. We're working through the Gospel of Matthew, watching Jesus restore then and watching Jesus restore now. And our text for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 9, if you'd turn there with me. And uh, I will ask the Lord to speak. Matthew 9, we're going to be reading 18 to 26. Lord, I just have such a strong sense of your presence right now among us. And I'm grateful. I just want to express gratitude to you, Lord, for your goodness, your kindness, and your love for each one of us and for your whole body. And I pray that, Lord, you'd continue to pour out your spirit to strengthen us. You'd also equip us that we can do the things that you did as you called us to. So we pray, O Lord, that this time of hearing your word and obeying your word would be a time of growing in faith and of equipping, and that it would bring you great glory as you work, as you speak and work among us. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Actually, I'll start at verse 16 instead of 18. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter's just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his garment. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, Go away. The girl's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. I want to start off with a kind of an interesting statement, and that is that if, if we're not occasionally surprised, puzzled, or perhaps even offended as we read the Gospels, we might not be taking Jesus seriously. I say that because if you if you watch the response on the part of everyone who's initially hearing him, you hear repeated surprise, puzzle, puzzlement, 
even offense. People are offended at some of the things Jesus is saying. So just before our text for this morning, Jesus has just responded to the bold roof-tearing-off faith of several men by forgiving their paralytic friend and restoring his ability to walk. And what happens? People are in awe, but religious leaders are in shock. Who does he think he is to do this, to forgive sins? Then Jesus adds insult to injury by calling a tax-collecting Roman sympathizer, hey, come be my student, come follow me. And he throws a party for sinners at this man's home. More offense, more not understanding. Now John's disciples are expressing confusion. They're saying, Jesus, the Pharisees fast, we fast, why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus' response to them is, because fasting is about mourning or about longing for God to be at work. And I'm here. I'm working. You can't fast. You can't mourn while I'm here. And then Jesus explains to him. He says, look, God's doing a new thing. God is pouring out new wine, the wine of his presence His power, his kingdom is breaking in among you people. You need a new wineskin. You need a new worldview to accommodate for what God's doing. Because if you don't adjust your worldview and your expectations, you're not going to be able to receive or to hold this thing that God's doing. And just as Jesus, this is so interesting, just as he's right in the middle of explaining this new wine, this man bursts through the crowd, falls at his feet, and he asks Jesus for some of that wine. That's what happens. The ruler of the local synagogue, Jairus, he weeps as he asks Jesus, Jesus, do the impossible. Jesus, he says, my daughter, my little girl, she's just died, but you come And you put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus, please reverse death. Jesus, please resurrect my dead daughter. Jesus, put your hand on her, and power from God, I'm sure of it, it's going to flow into her lifeless body. Just a touch, Jesus. Put your hand on her, and she'll live. This is extraordinary faith. Where does Jairus get this kind of faith? Jairus has seen enough in Jesus and heard enough about Jesus to know Jesus has the power, Jesus has the ability, and Jesus has the compassion to raise even the dead. Have you seen enough in Jesus to know that he's got the power, the ability, and the compassion to raise even the dead? Do you have this faith enough to express it? Jairus has seen, and Jairus believes, and Jairus expresses his faith in one giant, desperate plea. Jesus, put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus is moved by Jairus' faith and by compassion. So he gets up to go with him, and he goes, he goes to pour out 
some of that new wine. But then the unexpected happens. Another desperate soul, this time a woman, comes looking for some of that same new wine. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She is ashamed. She is unclean. She is cut off from society. She is broke. And she is desperate. But she has seen and she has heard of Jesus too. And so she muscles her way through the crowds and filled with holy faith and determination, she says to herself, if I just touch him, just the edge of his garment, I will be healed. I will be healed. You hear that? It's the same faith as Jairus who said, she will heal. She will live. I will be healed if I touch him. She will be healed if you touch her. Where does this degree of certainty come from? What is producing it? Again, Jesus responds to a strong display of faith. He turns, he looks at her with tender compassion, and he says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. One of the most interesting statements in the Gospels. Jesus is the healer, right? Right? Yes. Yes. You know the answer. (laughs) And yet he says, your faith has healed you. And with that, he resumes his journey to Jairus' home, enters, puts everybody out, walks over to the lifeless body of Jairus' daughter, takes her by the hand, and as Mark says, he says to her, little girl, I say to you, get up and whoosh, life enters into that little girl's body, her eyelids flutter, and in an instant, grief and mourning turn to dancing and crying tears of joy. And I can just picture Jairus saying, you did it, you did it, you did it, I knew you could do it, and hugging Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, thank you, thank you. Jesus did it. Jesus brought a dead girl back to life. And perhaps the most amazing and challenging aspect of this miracle is that Jesus did it as a result of Jairus' faith. If Jairus doesn't believe, if he doesn't run to Jesus in his moment of desperation, fall on his face and declare his faith, then his daughter remains dead. I don't think Jairus' daughter was the only girl in that region that died that month. But I know he was one of the only ones who had his daughter raised from the dead. If he doesn't have and express that faith, he and his wife are burying a little girl that day. It's this human expression of radical faith that invites the miracle. Similarly, if the bleeding woman doesn't shamelessly press through a crowd to grab hold of Jesus with a heart full of faith, she keeps on bleeding. She stays cut off. She remains in shame, broke, unable to be a part of society. 
And if the brave men of last week don't carry their friend onto a roof and dig a hole through it, their friend stays paralyzed and perhaps also unforgiven. And if the blind men of next week's text don't follow Jesus yelling, have mercy on us, son of David. They live the rest of their lives. In darkness. When you stack all of these stories, one on top of the other, it brings you face to face with this dynamic. Human faith is often pivotal in activating the restorative work of Jesus Christ. The Gospels show Jesus acting as, as, as people hunger for healing, as they cry out to him for it, and as they believe or express faith that he will do it. But they don't just record that. They actually record the opposite conditions as well, where little healing and little miracles occur. So as Jesus visits his hometown, Matthew writes a little later on, he says, he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Matthew says, they took offense at Jesus. They thought they knew him, and now he was acting in ways he hadn't acted, doing things they hadn't seen him do, and so they took offense. You know there's always danger of this happening in the church when Jesus begins to pour out the new wine of the Spirit. But Jesus didn't act that way when I was growing up. I know Jesus. And he didn't do those things before. I haven't seen him do those things before. And if we don't humble ourselves and practice good discernment, we can very easily quench the work of the Holy Spirit as they did. Now, what's really interesting, watch this. If you trace the fruit of these two different reactions to Jesus and see what happens, Jesus' hometown in Capernaum, so in Jesus' hometown, they get Jesus is initially acting. They get offended. Offense leads to a lack of faith. A lack of faith results in little asking. Little asking, little faith results in few miracles. Few miracles leads to little testimony. Little testimony generates little new faith for asking Jesus to heal. And this produces a downward cycle. And this downward cycle ends up producing a lifeless culture of functional unbelief. Devoid of God's restorative work. God's there. He wants to restore. But he's not welcomed to. Now, why do I say functional unbelief? I say that because they still believe in God. They'll still tell you that they believe in God, but they're actually saying, I believe and holding him at arm's length at the exact same time. They've quenched the Holy Spirit. And so they have a measure of faith, but they've got very little in terms of the actual presence and power of God working to bring real restoration, to bring the kingdom of God. Jesus is there to bring the kingdom. He's there to bring people to God and restore their lives. And yet they've held him at arm's length. And so he's not welcome to do it. And therefore, 
They may have the scriptures. They may say, I believe, but they don't have the actual power and presence of God. Now, Capernaum, on the other hand, it's in full-scale revival mode as news about Jesus, Matthew tells us, spreads through the whole region. So watch this. His early miracles generate this incredible response. So he heals the centurion's servant and Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. Remember, he gets her up. And then Matthew says, the people respond to that by bringing them all the sick and those who are oppressed by evil spirits. And it says, he drove out the spirits with a word and he healed all the sick. So now you've got already a couple of miracles leading to more miracles, more deliverance. People are coming to Jesus in faith. And this healing generates faith for more deliverance, more healings. Word about Jesus spreads. And what happens? The paralytics friends here and they believe and they say, if we just can get our friend to Jesus and they express this radical faith, they climb up this roof and dig through it. And then what happens as a result of their faith a public healing, right? The other ones were at Peter's mother-in-law's house. This one's in public while Jesus is in the middle of teaching. Packed place. This guy gets lowered in. So now you've got this public healing of a paralytic man. Oh, now faith really starts to, move, to gain momentum, okay? And so now, by now, Jairus... I'm sure he's seen it. He's heard about it. If Jesus did that, he can raise my daughter. Faith is in his heart, and so is it in the woman who believes. Later, Jesus would say, later in the gospel, he would say, anything is possible for the one who believes. Anything. And here we see that faith as they say, I just need you to touch my daughter. I just need to touch him. Faith. So watch the cycle. Faith, real faith leads to asking boldly. Asking leads to the work of Jesus that brings healing, deliverance. And healing generates more faith in Jairus' family and friends in this woman and in the crowd who watches on. So what's happening here is Jesus isn't just restoring a little girl's sick body, a little girl to health and a woman's sick body. What he's actually restoring here, as beautiful as those are, he's restoring a culture of faith to a whole community or region. In Capernaum, we're seeing a picture of the way that Jesus longs and I believe is willing to restore in every community. We're witnessing a growing faith that welcomes Jesus' restorative work and in so doing begets more faith and more faith and then a culture of faith. And church, we're seeing a picture of what Jesus is beginning to do here, here at Gold Avenue Church, as we see him heal and restore. Jesus is creating and growing a culture of faith. Last week we saw, maybe not everyone was here last week, but we saw Jesus heal Jalisa's mother-in-law's knees as we prayed for her. She was in so much pain, she could barely get up the stairs. And Jesus healed her knees. She was able to get down on them and get up in a way she hadn't been able to for some time. And Pastor Jalisa said later, she was bounding up the stairs. 
beautiful. We saw Jesus heal Heather's hip flexors, which are in a lot of pain and tight, as she went to pray for Jess. But these aren't the only ones. Jesus just healed Victoria of a gluten allergy that's so severe she couldn't even touch utensils that have been used on gluten. I mean, it's incredible. Jesus brought healing to my mother's arm as Sarah prayed in faith while we were in Ontario and you all prayed for her from here. Jesus healed the ankle of Mark's chiropractor as he simply prayed for her. Jesus healed Scott and Kayleen's missionary friend who had the long-term effects of uh, surgery or ca- uh, treatment from uh, cancer, right? And, and she had nerve damage and she couldn't drive her car for years. Jesus healed her. She can drive. Jesus healed a woman of a large goiter that was on her neck as our prayer partners prayed for her. Jesus has healed Matthew, my son, and I of headaches as we've prayed for each other. Jesus has healed Nancy of debilitating back pain and nerve pain that kept her out of worship for weeks. And friends, this is just from this last season. I'm not even talking about or mentioning Jesus raising Trish Foreman from near death. Jesus removing a tumor from Vic Mitchell's head. Jesus miraculously stopping the bleeding on Betty Shaw's heart. So she arrived in Ann Arbor and they said, we don't know what's wrong with you. It, it stopped and we can't figure it out. Jesus is working. And as we grow in our awareness of his compassion and of his desire to heal, we are growing in faith and asking Jesus more and more to heal. Jesus is healing in increasing measure, and it's generating more faith in our hearts. And so we're experiencing Jesus creating a culture of faith. And as Jesus uh, does this among us, I'd like to share some encouragement with you that comes from my own experience of praying for healing over this past year. I'm a little hesitant to do it, um, uh, just to use my own experience, but I I really believe my learning um, can be helpful to all of us. So um, I want to share two two main things. The first one is very simple, and the second one is the one I want to open up a bit, and then we'll move toward closing. Um, The Lord's been reminding me every time I pray for somebody of the importance of remembering the deep, deep love and compassion he has for that particular person. And so can I just model on you, Marissa? Just give me a hand for a sec. Just if I was going to pray for Marissa, just before I begin praying for whatever need I have, um, I just in my heart, I want to connect with God's just, he just loves her so much. He created her. She was his idea. He uniquely shaped and formed her. He's watched over her his whole life, right? Her whole life (laughs) and his, um, but, but he just, he loves her so, so much. So, so much. And he cares about every aspect of her experience. There's nothing that he doesn't care about. And I, I've got to get dialed into the love and the compassion that he has before I start praying for any need or any healing. Because that's what motivates God. And that's the place from which he'll open up his provision, okay? Okay, good, thank you. Um, the second thing that the Lord's been, been um, or I've been learning, is about praying with confidence in God's nature as the unchanging one who is healer and restorer. He's always the healer. He's always the restorer, no matter what he does or doesn't do in a given moment. And therefore, no matter what I happen to see in front of me. 
Okay? It's his nature. And his nature is unchanging. He says, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. He says, I am restoring all things. I'm making all things new. So God is the one who heals and restores, and his nature doesn't change. However, my confidence in his willingness to heal and restore, I find it can very easily be swayed by what I do or don't see in front of me in answer to my prayers. Let me explain. As I pray for my own healing, but especially as I pray for God to heal my father, who has a brain tumor that continues to grow and is now about this big. It's about the size of a tennis ball. Okay. I find it's very easy for me to attach my emotions and then along with them my confidence in God to outcomes. And here's what I observe as I trace the fruit of that. If I pray for healing and I don't see it in my preferred time frame or as I desire, then I feel tempted toward a combination of discouragement, doubt regarding the efficacy of my prayers, and doubt regarding God's willingness to heal. And if I'm honest, these things function as an attack upon my confidence in God's nature as healer and restorer, and they lead to less faith and then less willingness to pray with bold faith in the future and less confidence in an answer to my prayers. And so in short, what currently looks like an unanswered prayer as I watch my father lose his bodily functions and sleep all the time can bear the fruit of draining my confidence in God as healer and restorer, which can then drain my confidence to pray prayers for his or others' healing. A downward spiral with bad fruit. However, what I've also observed is that if I look upon my father as he's being debilitated by cancer, and right in that place, okay, literally holding him on his hospital bed in their living room, sleeping and holding, holding a picture of him in my heart. And right in that place, if I choose to lift up the eyes of my heart and worship the Lord as healer and as restorer, just magnify him, just thank him. Thank you, God, that your nature doesn't change. You are the one who's making all things new. You are fully trustworthy, Lord. You love with an unfailing love. Your purposes for dad are only good all the time. Thank you, Lord. And this is what happens. Faith and confidence, as I worship, faith and confidence flow into my heart. I'm empowered by that faith in God's unchanging nature to not only worship him in the face of what I see in front of me, but I'm also empowered to continue praying with faith for dad's healing. I'm strengthened by God's goodness, which remains unchanging despite what I see in front of me. And I can tell you, I've been, I've been through this valley more than a few times over the last year. And what I'm learning through it, I'm learning to closely observe 
what is influencing my soul? What is impacting my degree of confidence in God and in his um, willingness to, to move in answer to prayer? And I'm asking myself, am I being influenced right now by disappointments? Am I being influenced by prayers that haven't been answered when or how I wanted them to be? Or am I being influenced by a deepening confidence in God's unchanging nature as the one who heals and restores? As for me, I've learned that to worship him as healer and restorer is life to my soul, it is strength to my heart, and it is confidence as I pray for others. And I dare say that if God had not given that confidence to me, that Brendan's mother, Marcy, would not have been healed last week. And Heather would not have been healed. And others who were healed last week that haven't yet testified would not have been healed. I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. But I'm saying I am the one that God used to lead in. And he gave me a confidence that he would perform his word. Cody preached on Jesus' ability to forgive sins and restore bodies. And I said, I was able to step in and invite Jesus to work that way through all of us. And he did. But the linchpin was the confidence in Jesus' nature, his willingness to do so. So I'm, I'm sharing this with you all because I think, you know, we're all on a journey. And we have to, we have to learn as we grow what is, what is influencing what is shaping our hearts and our minds. And um, I'm, I find guarding our hearts and nurturing confidence in God's nature is key to, to a culture of faith that Jesus is growing among us. And I, I believe Jesus has so much more goodness to unfold as we grow in faith. And I also believe that he's really proud of the way that we're stepping out. I really sensed his pleasure in us this past week as I thought about how good it is that we keep activating faith to pray for one another in our worship services. Because if we can do it here in grace space, then we can do it in the marketplace. We can do it in the workplace. We can do it in homes. We can do it every place Jesus sends us as his witnesses. And the more that we do it, the more in, in faith, the more Jesus will heal. And the more that Jesus heals and delivers and draws people to him, the more faith grows. The more other people will be drawn to him. And just as revival came to Capernaum, revival will come, and it is coming to Grand Rapids. And so we're going to offer Jesus another opportunity this morning to restore among us. But first, before we do that, we're going to um, nurture our faith just a little bit more by sharing some testimonies of healing that Jesus has brought. And so I'm going to invite Mark, and I think Nancy's going to join him to come forward for leading testimony times. And I'm going to just end, end the message by, by praying and um, inviting the Lord to continue working. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for the so, so many good gifts that you've given and good ways that you are working as you strengthen faith in our hearts and as you empower us 
to uh, embody your kingdom and to be your witnesses. And Lord, we know you're not done with us yet. We know that you're taking us from faith to faith. And so we ask that even right now in these minutes and moments to come, as we give testimony and as we turn to pray for one another, that you will impart more faith, that you will strengthen us and enable us to pray with faith for your continued work. And we pray, O Lord, that you'd glorify your name among us once again. Amen.